Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Hello, this is John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.guru. Hey, we're having a good time over here recording all kinds of podcasts with some wonderful guests. Today, we've got another really great guest on our show, the Global Medical Device Podcast. We've got Mike Cremines. Mike is with Willis. And, you know, we've talked a lot about this topic of risk management and what it means. And most of our conversations to date have been focused on on the product side of things and complying with 14971. In today's episode, Mike brings a slightly different perspective or angle on risk. As a teaser, you know, we all know, or should know anyway, that ISO 13485 is going to be released. A new revision is going to be released in 2016, and that new version is going to incorporate this thing called risk-based QMS. Well, when we talk with Mike today, we're going to learn a little bit about another type of risk management, and that is enterprise risk management. And so it's really starting to meld 14971 risk management with 1345 risk-based QMS, and then looking at the entire organization from a holistic point of view. So if you're a med device company that's bringing a product to market, you need to listen to what Mike has to say on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, this is John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.guru, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Today I have Mike Cremines with me. Mike is with Willis, and let me tell you a little bit about Mike. Mike is the Vice President in the Healthcare and Life Sciences Practice at Willis, and his main function is that of a risk strategist for FDA-regulated organizations worldwide. Mike is passionate about enabling leaders of highly regulated organizations identify and navigate risks so they can focus on strategically growing their business. He believes long-term relationships are earned through trust and hard work. His primary role is to understand the needs of his clients and help them navigate their risk with confidence. As a risk strategist, Michael, Mike, has the unique ability to simplify and translate complicated situations into understandable concepts with practical solutions. Mike, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. John, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for allowing me to uh, spend some time with you. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Great. So obviously, I, I read a little bit about you, and I know there's a whole lot more. And I'm sure as we talk here in the next little bit that we're going to all discover a little bit more about you as well as Willis. But if you would, give us a little bit of an overview of, of your role and what Willis does for med device companies. Absolutely. You know, John, if, if I'm at a cocktail party and someone asks me, what do I do for a living? I usually hesitate to say I'm an insurance broker uh, because that person is immediately reminded of the root canal appointment that they forgot about. <laughs> right. um, insurance is not necessarily something that people like to talk about. So what I've done for the last 20 years, John, is I have been helping my medical device clients achieve their goals by helping them identify, quantify, and manage their risks. It's really not an insurance discussion at all. I guess you could say that I'm essentially there to try to keep them out of trouble. Willis is a very large insurance broker. I think today 
rated as the number three insurance broker in the world. Uh, we are about to merge with a rather substantial organization in its own called Towers Watson. So after January, it looks as though our two combined organizations will have an excess of 36,000 employees. One of the specialties of Willis is on the medical device and even a bigger category, the FDA-regulated businesses, where we provide insurance and risk management. So that's Willis. And uh, for me, I, again, John, I've had the pleasure of doing uh, just medical device work and working for these folks in the insurance and risk management area for about 20 years. Very good. You know, I, I read uh, in preparation for today's discussion, I read a little bit about Willis and I appreciate you sharing those insights. One of the things that I found really interesting is Willis can tie its origins back to, I think it was 1828. It's pretty remarkable. The uh, organization is, it, it's just huge. And it, it's um, one of the things I found working here is, is there's some incredibly bright people. They've got a tremendous amount of history, obviously going back to the 1800s. But when you really get down to it, it's it's the people that are, are making the difference. And John, I'm very fortunate. I hang around with some really, really bright folks. It's good to be passionate and to enjoy what you do. And that's I, I've been fortunate throughout my career as well. All right. So, Mike, my, my audience is used to hearing me talk about risk management. And usually when I'm talking about risk management, I'm talking about things like ISO 14971 and and I guess more from a product standpoint, identifying hazards and estimating the probability of occurrence of harm and the severity of harm and all those sorts of things. But this is not the kind of risk management that, that you deal with. Am I correct? Actually, it, it, conceptually, John, it's the same thing. But however, the way I would describe my work is more of an enterprise risk management. So what we do with our risk assessments is we start really at a very, very high level. We engage several different departments within an organization. It'll be the CEO, the financial piece, sales and marketing, regulatory, operations. So what we're doing is starting at a very, very high level in assessing overall risk. But as it turns out, John, you and I actually approach risk in the same way. We're still getting in and talking to our customers about what could put them out of the business, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about specifically to, uh, to help their business? And uh, so, so our approaches are similar, but what I do is start at a very, very high level and I help them uh, assess overall risk and certainly uh, what you do, John, in your particular area and things that impact my customers directly are the managing of the medical device uh, development and the risk associated with it. Right. So, so that, that's a good summary. And I guess, you know, if I can take home one key message there is that the principles involved with product risk management are similar or maybe even the same principles that you're employing from an inter enterprise risk management. It, it's absolutely spot on, John. It, it, it Actually, it, our approaches are strikingly similar. Right. It's interesting, John, you and I essentially met on Twitter where we started tweeting about some of the same things, um, <laughs> yeah. but they're very, very similar, our approaches. Right. And, and so in your business, I mean, you've been doing this, uh, you said, you know, over 20 years now, and and obviously the, the ISO 14971 standard uh, hasn't been around quite that long. I mean, there are some of its predecessor standards that that uh, started to creep into our, I guess, our lexicon and and practices back in the mid to late 90s. 
So has ISO fourteen nine seventy one and its its prevalence have that been a good thing? Has it been a, a challenging thing? I mean, do you find that you fi- have to explain your role in, in the risk management continuum often? Can you talk a little bit about some of those things? Yeah, as far as the ISO subject matter, I mean, John, there's no question in my mind that anything that helps companies with process, with with um, procedures with rules, with regulations. I mean, look, we, we our, our customers are in a very highly regulated business. And if we don't spend time with the details, if we don't dig into things that could not only hurt our potential customers, uh, meaning if we're a medical device company, we don't want to put a bad product out there. That's not our intent. We want to make sure that we're putting a fantastic product out on the table and that we've tried to manage those risks. So I think that in this particular case, the the ISO processes and procedures, any new rules that come out, the guidance documents that the FDA produces, these are all really fantastic ways for companies to understand, you know, they've got to have a roadmap. They have to understand what it's going to take to actually produce a safe product and obviously to make their company successful. Yeah, that's well well said. All right, so here in a moment, I want you to to think about this now, but here in a moment, I'm going to ask you about some horror stories or maybe some disasters. So I'll, that'll be a, a little bit of an intrigue frame for our audience. But in the meantime, Absolutely. yeah. In the meantime, I mean, the topic of of risk. I mean, it seems to be all over the place right now. It's certainly in FDA and other regulatory bodies, and so much so that the next version of the ISO one three four eight five, the quality system management system standard that is due for uh, actually a, a revision, and that's anticipated to go live sometime early 2016. And the big buzz about that that new revision of 1345 is this concept of risk-based quality system. So it, it's clear that this this topic is is front and center. It's clear that that this is something that that organizations need to be considering, not only from a product standpoint, but also from an enterprise standpoint. No question, John. Um, you know, if, if I may, when we start with these assessments, what we're really trying to do is get a common risk language. I mean, if you think about it, even though in your company's efforts and, and the, the real work that you do, you still have to communicate. You still have to be able to take what the operations people, what the regulatory people uh, the compliance folks are doing, and you have to translate that into something that the salespeople are going to understand, that finance, the CEO, and then certainly the board of directors wants to understand why they have to make an investment in these kinds of things. So again, getting back to that enterprise risk management, what we're trying to do is create a risk language so that everyone can appreciate and understand. I mean, John, salespeople speak different language than finance. Go figure. Uh, engineers talk differently than marketing people. So it's important to engage all the facets of the company and get them together and uh, try to come up with this common risk language. I think it's something that's essential when you look at the, the big picture enterprise risk of these companies. If I can also add, John, and we'll get into a couple of specific horror stories, it really is fascinating to me that no matter how many of these assessments I do, every single one is different. Uh, companies are going to view risk in a totally different manner. And perhaps you find that as well, even though 
it is supposed to be in a quote unquote very structured environment, right? You've got these guidance documents. Right. Uh, the rules are rules and there shouldn't be room for interpretation. But in fact, there really is room for interpretation. And uh, I just find it fascinating that every time I do these, uh, the, the final assessment comes out different in every case. So, so do you find that the, the final assessment coming up different? Do you think it, it has more to do with your customers' expectations of what risk is, or do you think it's more about what their appetite for risk is? I, I think it's probably both of those things. I think in addition to that, John, what you're going to find is it's, it's, it's the board and, and how, how culture and ideas and, and doing the right thing, what that means at the top, what it means at the board level, the CEO that you've chosen, the, the, the managers that the CEO has chosen. So there's a risk culture that gets developed, hopefully at a very high level, that will flow right on down through the company. And I think that it it also has to do with the, the amount of uh, years that the company has been in business, how mature it is. And then certainly if you've got, I mean, I've got two examples in front of me. I've got an implant manufacturer that just raised $75 million in the last three years. They're viewing risk in a certain way. And then I've got a company that I just did an assessment for that's been around for 15 years. Right. And they have a totally different focus. But uh, I'll tell you, John, the ones, and I, I hope you agree with me, that the companies that I absolutely love doing business with are the ones that want to do it the right way. They, they want to make sure that they're putting the best possible product out there, which is going to result in, uh, obviously, higher valuations if these companies want to sell. But you're going to find that there's a culture, a risk culture, that um, really uh, creates a, a great environment for not only a satisfied employee, but a fantastic uh, work product and a product that's getting out to the marketplace. All right. So a couple uh, of rapid fire questions here. When when and, and how should a, a med device or FDA regulated company, when in their life cycle should they engage you and Willis? I think that you can, you know, there are varying levels of engagement. Just at a very, very high level, it seems to me that you should be integrating risk planning into your strategic plans. If you've got a private placement memorandum, if you have a company, frankly, uh, John, that's even just formed, it's very easy for me to give people a couple of ideas um, very, very quickly and at a very high level with not a lot of detail as to some of the things that they should anticipate and be worried about. I think the most effective risk, risk assessments come in when you're uh, when you've probably got uh, when you've just achieved FDA approval and now you have to produce a product. Now you've got to create your supply chain. You have to create your distribution force. You have to create the products. You're managing your contract manufacturers. You're out looking at different uh, hospitals to do business with. You're faced with group purchasing organization contracts. You're expanding on an international basis. So you may have great people, but you can really determine pretty quickly whether or not your company is scalable, whether or not what you've created can actually grow into something really big. That seems to me to be the perfect time to really do a little bit of a deeper dive and start to invest into uh, the enterprise risk management strategy. You know, John, frankly, uh, Willis is a very large organization. We've done risk assessments for companies that are into the billions in sales. You know, those are the kinds of risk assessments that, you know, take one, two, three, five, ten days of actually digging in and putting a pretty substantial work product on, on the uh, table 
for me in my particular position, focus on the medical device companies that I have, it's probably what I described. It's when you get FDA approval or a couple products and you're you're really trying to scale this baby into something big. Okay, so so I guess to summarize that, if if I'm a even if I'm a small or a startup med device company trying to bring a product to market, enterprise risk is still important to what I'm doing, and it's still something that they should potentially pick up the call the phone and call call Mike. Well, there's, John, I I really believe that you should because think about it, you're out raising money. All right. And, and the, the more sophisticated buyers, the VCs and, and the private um, equity companies that have been in this space for a very long time that you want to get money from, you want their intellectual capital on their board. If you can show them that you've actually gone through a risk assessment, that you've actually anticipated some of the uh, challenges that the company may run into, that you've already anticipated um, where the risks might be and you have budgeted for them and hopefully you're not going to have as many surprises as the uh, average company, I think you're putting yourself in a much better position to get more money and you're putting yourself in a much better position to be successful. Okay. So now give me in, in our audience top two things that, that a, a company who is pursuing bringing a product to market and has not currently engaged in some sort of enterprise risk management activities what are what are the top two things top two pieces of advice that you would give those companies well the top two pieces i would say the first one is is manage your current investor expectations that's something that i've heard many many times um, from my customers it's making sure that when you're putting something into a, um, a document where you're explaining to your investors or to your board where you're headed, what your plans are, what you're up to, and how you're going to spend their money the most effectively, I think you have to be in a position to be able to you know, remove communication risk between what you plan to do and how you're going to use the investor's money. Because, John, I don't know if you share this um, opinion I would say that most of your customers are also backed by venture capital or some type of an investment on. Is that accurate? I mean, it's definitely accurate. Just about every company that that we work with at, at Greenlight.Guru has a set of investors, whether it's institutional money or friends and family, there are investors. Absolutely. The number two, and, and it's interesting, if I do a top 10 and I just look at the last 10 um, assessments that I did, Almost half of the concerns of companies have to do with the management of human capital risk. It's educating people on the value system, talent acquisition, loss of key employees, loss of reputation. You know, how do we uh, attain, how do we attract, how do we maintain talent? I think that um, though that's a that's a huge risk for people. I mean, the good news when you grow is you have to hire employees. Right. The bad news when you grow is you have to hire employees. <laughs> right. uh, it creates risk for you. Right. Okay. So we uh, we promised to share a couple of of disaster or horror stories. So I guess without <laughs> naming uh, obviously uh, <laughs> the, the, the the guilty or uh, uh, specifically citing a, a person or a company. Share one of the horror stories that might resonate with the audience of of a, you know maybe a company that didn't didn't engage in enterprise risk management or they did it poorly or what have you. Well, the the, the holy grail of boy, my day just turned into something really bad is the FDA showing up at your door and then subsequently, let's just say either a consent decree or uh, where the FDA has has threatened to shut you down. 
Um, in one specific case, we had a situation where there was uh, a company that was threatened with a consent decree. And basically what happened is, is it, it arose specifically out of the idea that you had the corporation who had a set of rules, regulations, um, they had um, processes, procedures set up. They brought on an acquisition and the acquisition happened to have different processes, different procedures. And what happened is, is unfortunately, the acquisitions, processes and procedures, unfortunately, caused some pretty serious injury to some of their customers. And in that particular case, that's what that's what prompted the FDA to come in. Right. And in this particular case, the FDA basically cited them eventually. I'm shortening the story. And they said, look, you acquired this company who had certain rules and regulations that didn't even follow your own rules and regulations. So, John, there was a lack of integration between what the parent company said was supposed to be the rules uh, compared to what the acquisition or the um, that division, what rules and regulations they followed. The FDA hammered them. And uh, that was just something that if there would have been a little more time spent on um, that the, the, those common processes, making sure that when you bring on an acquisition that uh, their their culture is exactly what yours is at the home office, that all of the rules and processes are followed in the way that the home office wants it, that's going to go a long way to preventing, obviously, you know, some serious injury that happened to people. But um, I think the FDA would have been a little more lenient on them if they would have had uh, some um, consistency. So that's uh, one of the first uh, major ones. The next one is, unfortunately, the lack of a disaster plan uh, and the lack of someone putting some time into how much cash they would have needed in the event of a fire. Um, John, you and I are probably, I I doubt that you've had to live through a fire, uh, but it is absolutely devastating to a business where you go home one night and all of a sudden in the middle of the night, you get a call at three o'clock that said, hey, your building's on fire. And in this particular case, what we had was a situation where a plant completely burnt to the ground. And what happened for this particular client is, is even though we went through the process of going through and me pushing like crazy, some type of a, a business uh, interruption and also a disaster recovery program, th- they didn't put the time in previously that they should have. And unfortunately, when their plant burned to the ground, they realized a little too late that uh, a little bit of prevention and perhaps a little bit more of an investment in what they would have done in the event of a fire uh, would have put them in a much better position. I think the good news is is that they survived. The challenging news is that it took them probably four to five years longer than it should have to actually get back to where they uh, should have been if uh, the loss hadn't happened. So it was that lack of a disaster recovery plan that really put them behind. So those are uh, just a couple of core yeah. stories. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you have plenty more. But you know, well, I'm I'm in the disaster business. John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess probably a better way to say it is you and I both are hopefully in a uh, disaster prevention business. Actually, well, there's no question about that. I mean, I'm a disaster guy. When it really gets down to it, I am there to try to keep people out of trouble. Um, try to uh, help them identify some of the ship sinkers. And we're talking about events that if not 
uh, recognized and not planned for and and where you if you don't put thought into it it's the absence of thought in here you, you can get yourself into some pretty big trouble and it's it's the future of the company that's at stake well mike i appreciate the opportunity to speak with you a little bit today i mean i you have shared a lot about why any of our listeners should be thinking about enterprise risk management i mean the reality is if you're going to bring a product to market this is a very real topic you need to Obviously, consider 14971 and product risk management, but you also need to think about your investors and and having risk mitigation strategies for your entire enterprise. No can, question, John. And yeah. it's it's uh, hitting it right on the head. Yeah. And so you can learn a lot more about Mike Cremines and uh, Willis. You can go to willis.com. You can look up Mike Cremines, his last name spelled C-R-E-M-E-A-N-S. And Mike, the best place to find you is probably LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great place. Just um, search for Mike or Michael Cremines at Willis. You'll find me there. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Willis Lifesci, at W-I-L-L-I-S-L-I-F-E-S-C-I. I should be out on the internet for a Google search rather easily. I've had the great fortune, John, of being in this business for a long time. And I think you'll find me that I was a speaker at several events. And, and I'm sure you'll be able to connect with me that way. All right. So reach out to Mike if you have any questions about enterprise risk management and what you need to do at your med device company. Again, this has been John Spear, the founder and VP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight.guru. Greenlight.guru, we have a software platform that helps you manage your entire quality management system, including your design history file and all your design controls, as well as that product risk management information that we've talked a little bit about today. If, uh, if it's important for you to follow 14971, and here's a hint, if you're a med device company, it's important for you to follow 14971. You need to give me a call. And you can look up our company at greenlight.guru. Yes, that is the domain name. So until next time, this has been John Spear for the Global Medical Device Podcast. <laughs>